what's good, Internet. It's the Harvest the Colin Atrophy, and I am very happy to welcome you to episode 25 of Radio Harvester, my podcast, um, where I talk to my friends about what they do. And I, I don't know. I'm thinking of a new tagline now that it's not called what we talk about when we talk about pizza because we don't do the interviews in pizzerias anymore because uh, I'm trying to limit the amount of chewing that goes on on Mike. Uh, it's a real change for me. Anyway, enough about this bullshit. The guest this month is fantastic. It's my friend Maya Spalter, um, and she is a witch. And she just wrote a book about witchcraft. It's called Enchantments, A Modern Witch's Guide to Self-Possession. It's out now on Random House. And um, it details her time working at the witchcraft store Enchantments on East 9th Street, one of the oldest witch stores in New York City, uh, maybe in America, probably in America, one of the oldest witchcraft stores in America, um, it goes into some history of the store. It also does a um, like kind of general survey of different practices across different witch traditions. So like altar making in different traditions, kind of certain spell casting in different traditions, etc. It's really good. It's super well written. It's thorough and accessible at the same time. Maya is one of my oldest friends. Uh, I've known her since high school, 22 years or something at this point. And... Um, I don't know. The interview's a little chatty. Maybe it's too cash, but I think it's nice. Have fun. So like we went to high school together. Like mm-hmm. I've known you for twenty over twenty years now, maybe way more. Like, uh, how old are you? Thirty six. You were fourteen when we met. Yeah. Because your phone number ended in fourteen sixteen, and you were fourteen, and I was sixteen. No, my phone number ended in one eight one. It's one eight one six. All right, so I was eighteen, and you were sixteen. Yeah. That's when I got your number. Oh yeah, because <laughs> I was. But we met before that. No, we, we met before that. We, we became friends because you were the editor of the literary magazine at the high at New Rochelle High School. Yes, that's yes. how we met, and I submitted all that weird kind of bad stuff. What next, Columbus? Where next, Columbus? Where next, I stole that Columbus? From a, I stole that from a Crass song, um, and I figured that no one at the high school would know a Crass song, and I was right. You were. That was not my first instance of plagiarism being successful for me. <laughs> uh, when I was in. I want to say third grade, but it might have been fifth grade. But I know my teacher was Mrs. Murphy at Ward School. Mm-hmm. There was a um, like a children's poetry contest, and I submitted a poem that I stole word for word from an old issue of Mad Magazine that I found <laughs> in my parents' basement that had belonged to my dad's kid brother Scott. And it was a. Uh, um, I remember it went. Once upon a final inning with the other ball team winning. I remember that was the first two lines. And it was like the Raven, but about a baseball game. And it was, I remember being shocked at the time that no one, like even my parents were just proud of me and weren't like, you didn't write a poem about baseball. (laughs) You don't know anything about baseball. You hate sports. But um, by like won all the, like I won like the school poetry, like the grade poetry contest and then the school poetry contest. I won a poetry contest that year too. The city poetry contest. (laughs) With the same poem? With the, like it all just like kept getting pushed onto the next thing and I was like, at some point I'm going to get found out and like, like one of these old people is going to have, remember this poem from Mad Magazine and no one ever did, which was tight. 
They didn't. I, I think I was involved in a similar contest, if not the same one. I definitely got to read a poem in front of a lot of people. Um, but mine was, I think, about homelessness. And the overarching metaphor was um, about uh, melting like, like some ice and how that feels like the loneliness of being disregarded by your society. How old were you? Two years older than you. <laughs> that, wait, you did this in high school or in, no, no, in, in elementary school? I was How old little, were you is what I'm I was, saying. I was probably 12. I was like 10. No, it was like fifth grade or something. It was like fifth cool. grade. Wow, um, yeah. I mean, like that's what I remember about it. I definitely think it, I think it was inspired by the fact that I learned how to draw a cube. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, it's like ice. It's melting like sorrow. <laughs> wow. That's like that poem, the other poem that wasn't a stolen crass, just lyric sheet that I submitted to Opus that year that we became friends was, I just remember it was like the image that the poem was around was about um, the CEO of Nike mm -hmm. climbing a ladder mm -hmm. built literally from the bodies <laughs> of the poor. This is pretty familiar, though, because it's really happened. <laughs> I mean, I handed it to you, and then you yeah, published it. Because like, it was in my hands. Yeah, that's, why it's, so that's why it's familiar. Yeah. That was good, though. Did you write that one? Yeah, that one I wrote. See, I, that's what I was going to say. I was like, wait, why did you want to submit to the magazine without writing the poem? Like, how would you know that you wanted to submit to the poetry magazine if you didn't want to write poems? But you did want to write them. You just also wanted to fuck with everybody. I didn't want to write poems. I just wanted to participate in something. You did? See, but that was the only thing I participated in in school, too. Yeah. And, like, that was, like, I knew I needed to... I think my parents were probably actually just like, listen, Ma, you got to do a thing. Yeah. I was just, like, stoned and weird and knew that, like, there were, like, older queer girls there. That's, yeah. And that's who I wanted to, I was like, I need to know yeah. lesbians. Like, I just need I to, know. I need to know lesbians. Like, I, I kind of feel like I need to revise my, like, understanding of my upbringing. Like, based on the fact that, like, why did I this? Why did I that? Mostly because I needed to find the queers yeah. in the world. Yeah, like, there's a lot of that. Yeah, and I didn't, yeah, and it's, it's like, I don't know, I'm still surprised by it sometimes when I look back and I'm like, why the fuck was I watching that movie over... Uh, oh. Like, why did I need to... Uh, oh. Yeah, it all, come, it all becomes clear eventually. Yeah, it all becomes queer eventually. <laughs> the, um, but, yeah, you definitely had, like, a real tight, like, butt part, hair down to your, like, waist... It was so. It was purple. The part was wrong, but the rest was good. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, it was all good. The part was fine too. It was yeah, nineteen ninety seven or exactly. Whatever. Yeah. Um, you had like a black shirt and like a long black skirt. Like I just remember you looking like what I thought a witch looked like, even like twenty two years ago or yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, and then, like, we just hung out and like were goofy and smoked weed or whatever together when we were in high school. And I don't think we talked about like our spiritual practice or whatever that much. No. Maybe we did, but I doubt it. Yeah. But then I remember being when I was like eighteen or nineteen, and you were started working at Enchantments. The first time I went in there, I was like, "Oh, this makes so much sense. <laughs> like, this makes so much sense that Maya is here." Yeah. Um, do you want to tell the listener? Yes. What Enchantments is? Yeah, Enchantments is witchcraft store in the East Village. It's on the Ninth Street. It was on uh, ninth between first and second. Now it's ninth between first and A. It's 
been around. Hang on. Yeah. Can we maybe close that window? Yeah, we're Is that okay? I don't know if it's like part of it's why like, we have these little mics is that it's a directional thing, but right. it's just loud enough that it'll I, happen. Yeah, yeah, it's disruptive. It's gonna keep happening. Um, it's a it's a witchcraft store in the East Village, and it's um, at this point the oldest one in the city, and it is um, it's a it's an emporium. It's a one stop shop for people who are um, looking to do some sort of. Uh, I guess some people call it neo-pagan practice, some kind of, but I just, I don't know. I think witchcraft is a better catch-all. Um, so we have candles and herbs and oils and incense and statues and tarot cards and books about mystic shit. And um, it's always been kind of a clubhouse, a uh, meeting place for um, witchy weirdos in New York City since uh, 1982. 82 at least oh no shit i didn't realize it had been there that long 82 and it's uh and it's sort of an offshoot of a place that existed before that called the magical child mm -hmm. that you know they kind of existed at the same time for a while but the magical child goes back you know maybe another 10 years yeah. um but yeah like the story of the store i think sort of maps the story of like whatever the last um new wave pagan resurgence in the 70s which um i don't know i'm finding mirrors a lot you know i i feel like what people were dealing with back then the tensions that people were having in their lives and society the tension that they had between themselves and the government mm -hmm. is very resonant with what we're dealing with right now yeah and i find that really comforting so we're not in uncharted territory necessarily yeah i've been thinking a lot about like trying to go find people that were activists in their 30s during Reagan's presidency and just be like, hey, like there was Nazis in the streets. The government was doing all kinds of insane, like border closing, kind of making nods to white supremacist rhetoric shit. Like, uh, did you guys think it was the end of the world then? You know, like, how did you get through it? Just so I can like talk to someone that maybe had a similar experience to what I'm having now mm. and like learn, you know what I mean? Yeah. What to do. And I feel like, which culture or whatever in America does a lot of that kind of naturally, the like kind of looking back at previous generations. And it was so deliberately kind of brought to the States that like in the form of spiritual practice that you're talking about, I mm -hmm. think specifically, at least the way you write about it in your book, that I think it's like really, it's really interesting to look at as like a, just like a culture that is self-aware mm -hmm. and like, a, like a kind of wants to maintain its own existence, but also continue to grow and develop and like, join the times that it's in yeah witchcraft is like a self-aware spiritual culture that's a really exciting idea i love that um because it is really self-aware there's something well all right well i'm really self-aware of myself as a witch because there uh working in enchantments i get to see a lot of the different witchy stylings that people mm -hmm. have for themselves um and the different like vocabularies that people apply to the ineffable things that we can only ever like barely struggle to describe in words um and i find a lot of the ways that people describe them like don't don't really appeal to me they're not um you know and a lot of the witchy books that i came in contact with i can't say that i really read but the reason i didn't read them was because it felt really alienated by like by the language by the styling by the culture that um it's in some ways that it's so backwards looking um, that like to be a witch you have to be anachronistic 
mm -hmm. think that's really weird. Um, that like to be a witch meant like you pick the period of time in history that you want to fantasize you're living in and then you just like do that. Yeah, it's just um, like cosplay or whatever. Yeah, but it's also it also seems really cynical in a way because it's like, oh, well, magic's not now. Right. Magic's in some uh, fictional world, and if we work really hard, we can pretend that we live in it. Um, I don't know. So I'm really excited, at least in this way, of like making... But, you know, at the same time, I guess, what I mean is that at the same time as they were hearkening back, they couldn't help but be themselves in the 70s right and like that tension i think is what like brings up a lot of corniness for me you know what i mean yeah. like I, i'm not really sure how to exactly get to it but it's like yeah like being being run fair on the subway is like it, it it's just um i don't know it's just like a lack of uh aesthetic coherence <laughs> I want to want to just let people live their lives or whatever yeah. but I actually am like deeply judgmental of corny herbs and dorks mm -hmm. all the time you know I kind of am too like I don't know why that's important to me that people not be a herb I don't know I think it's because of where we're from but also like I yeah like I remember going to enchantments enchantments was my favorite bathroom to use when I was a bike messenger it's oh, a good one it's a great bathroom there was an incense stick so like I could really just like rock it, you know, <laughs> and also it's like an excuse to see you like during a shitty work day yeah. or whatever. And then I would like come hang out after work and smoke weed in the backyard. But then sometimes I wouldn't be allowed to smoke weed because there'd be like grownups in velvet capes back there <laughs> or whatever, you know, and I was just like, <laughs> this store is cool, but who are these like Dungeons and Dragons people? Well, you see, know? Yeah. So that was like a different phase. That was, that yeah. was an era where one of my coworkers, Joe, um, he was like, yeah, he was a big cosplay, cosplay influence on the culture of the store. He drew a lot of uh, players and he um, spoke Klingon, speaks Klingon. Like he, yeah, Joe yeah. is fine. Joe yeah. is good. Um, but yeah, he speaks Klingon. He's just, um, he did a lot of, uh, you know, like martial arts. Um, yeah. <laughs> I remember him telling me a story about how he'll, he would sometimes walk with a limp in his neighborhood late at night. <laughs> no! He, I don't know if he was just like talking shit to me or what, but he was like, yeah, sometimes I walk with a limp in my neighborhood late at night. So I look like an easy target. And then, and then when the people try to mug me, I don't like harm them really bad. Cause I could, cause I'm like <laughs> I black belt in everything, but like, I just like kind of fuck them up just enough that they'll be scared to fuck with someone else that has a limp. Cause maybe next time they won't know that it's like secretly a martial artist. See, that is very thoughtful of him. He's paying it forward. Yeah. He's paying it forward. He's really trying to make it work. <laughs> Joe. Yeah. But anyway, that's enchantments. That's the store. Yeah. That's what it's like. It's a it's it's a great place. Um I like to think of it as like uh I don't know, Nitty and I talk about it as a sort of as an organism, as a it has its um it's 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 the home of so many people's intentions that yeah. um Oh wow. That's it a heavy has concept. its own intention in some ways sure like we definitely talk about the store in terms of its uh volition yeah um yeah it's a it's a cool place i'm so glad i got to work there again it was it was great and i just remember being like okay cool i had this job i want to make a little bit more money let me go be a cocktail waitress is like at like a trashy cafe yeah and then pink I, poodle or something the pink pony pink pony the pink pony was beautiful it was it was a 
great one of those great you don't make any money and you get real stressed out jobs and then I uh, got another job at a dive and I was like now I've really Parkside, made it right yeah, the Parkside Lounge I was like I'm a cocktail waitress now like I am this is it big yeah I remember thinking that was such a great grown-up job you it was had. so grown up and then I was behind the bar during the day what could be better yeah it was not good but um, no. all of those things I thought was like on the up and up and I, I remember making my resume when I was gonna get some other job and I was like oh shit my job is witchcraft store like ca artist cafe and a dive bar and I was like ah my skills fuck my skills and it turns out that those are like the skills that are truly like the most valuable most marketable skills that I have today are um, you know what I've learned working witchcraft and like shithole service industry yeah yeah um, so I remember the first spell I ever did mm -hmm. um, Mrs. Altschul my uh, honors English teacher mm. in ninth grade okay uh, told the class kind of offhand about how if you write someone's name down on a piece of paper and then you put it in an ice like in water and you freeze it in the freezer it'll freeze them out of your life okay and so I wrote down this person's name who you know who I'm not gonna say uh oh alright you'll tell me later uh, you'll know as soon as I finish okay. telling the story <laughs> um uh on this piece of paper and I put it in um my parents freezer and like the back of the freezer in a ziploc bag and he went to jail like two weeks later oh and then my parents, he was like torturing me. He was just like a very, very wounded person who was like taking it out on me. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was like a blackout or the power went out at my parents' house and they threw out everything in the freezer. And I'm not joking, like less than a month after the, fr I had forgotten about the spell or whatever, mm -hmm. less than a month after the that I was crossing the um, Isaac Young soccer field, the mm -hmm. middle school soccer field, to go catch the bus back to my parents' house, and this person called my name, and I thought it was this guy Meatball that I knew, mm -hmm. and so I ran over. And when I got there, it wasn't Meatball; it was the guy who I had frozen out of my life, who had just gotten unfrozen, and he like shoved me up against the wall and put a gun in my face. It was like, "I'm gonna fucking kill you." you're ready to die tonight, you know? And I was like, Dude, fuck. Gotta and then I, I remember it. I was like, that. I did a spell against this guy and now he's doing this to me. I gotta say, though, very, like, it's a fucked up story, but also, cautionary tale. I know, that's For why witches. I told it. Because a binding spell, you're like, oh yeah, binding spell, no problem, tie up, no big deal. Things that are, can get tied up can get untied. Things that can get frozen can melt. Like, it's not that it's not a spell that you can do. It's not that a spell, it's not a spell that'll work. It's just like with absolutely everything is not a ma everything in magic. It's not a matter of what you can do. It's like what are you actually trying to do? Yeah. Because you were trying to freeze them, and great, you got it. You get what you want, but you don't always want what you get. Right. That's really what my breakdown is now. Yeah. I feel bad sometimes because I feel like, um, like, especially I'm out here talking about witchcraft in a really public way, and I don't do tons of spells all the fucking time because when I think it through. It's when I think it through. It's like almost. It's it's just very rarely the thing to. It's just very rarely the most effective way to deal with what I'm trying to deal with. Yeah. Um. And that is like, it's a really good reminder. But it's also something that you don't learn 
until it's real and it's in your life and you're fucking dealing with it yeah yeah for real but do you remember like that to me was like a moment when I was like kind of offhand like oh yeah I'll do this thing my dumb teacher said and I was always like just like a little weirdo that wanted there to be magic in the world and maybe like pretended that there was but thought I was pretending and then but that was the first time like that freezing and then the subsequent thaw and the fallout of that thought in my life was where I was like, whoa, that was a spell that I did that worked. And I kind of just like set that aside and didn't think about magic again for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a moment for me when I was like, this stuff is real. Um, and do you remember like when, what your like teen flirtations or like childhood interests, like where that this began? Like what's the, how do you get from Maya Spalter in New Rochelle, New York to Maya Spalter is working at Enchantments, you know? Okay, well... That's maybe a long question. It's a long question. I have, like, some first, like, first inkling kind of moments that I've been trying to, like, think about. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember, like, fucking around with yoga when I was little, and I always knew that I wanted... I, I don't know. It was always very clear to me that that was my physical exertion, expression, like, yoga and dancing, whatever. Yeah. But, um, I never actually, like, made it a practice. But when I was little... I was messing around in tree pose, I was meditating, I was like in my lotus position or whatever. And there was this George O'Keefe, I've been trying to figure out which one it was that we had a print of, I was talking to my mom about it. Yeah. So I was meditating, I was staring at this thing, this this painting, and um, and then it, there's, you know, a blossom and some greenery, and then it was as if I had brushed it away with my hands, uh-huh. And I, I and I went deeper into the painting, uh-huh. and, um, and I was like, oh shit! And I was like, okay, 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 shit's real, shit's real, um, cool. And yeah, I didn't like, and then I practiced yoga every day after that. Like, no, I didn't. Nope. <laughs> no, fuck I didn't. Um, but yeah, that was a moment for me where it was just like, you know, in the same way, it's like, I wanted there to be magic. Um, I did the, I went through the motions of magic and then magic started to happen. Um, and then I was like, cool, let me put that, down like not that I put it down but not that I stopped looking for it but it was just like yeah it's it's um it's not that it's it's not that it's scary and it's bad I think like people talk about you know like people who don't have an experience of witchcraft like to think about it as just a fear zone Mm -hmm. and um and it is scary to find out that it is scary to remember that the world is actually more than what you are are um our, our understanding at any given moment that there's yeah. like way more channels in the same way like there's more colors of light than we can perceive and we know that for sure but we can't be conscious of that all the time or we'll freak out anybody who's ever tripped knows that there's so much in the experience right and if we allowed all of it into our consciousness at once we would be a mess and we wouldn't be able to interact with other people so um, with witchcraft and the way I practice it, I try to make, you know, it's like the aperture in the camera. It's like, how open can it be? And you can still get a clear image and like still function, you know? So like I, you know, people walk into the store and they're like, I want to manifest. I want to be psychic. And it's like, cool, but how open can it be? And you can still function in the world. Some people, it's not that important to function in the world, but it's important to me. Yeah. I want to. I was looking for my water. Sorry. Oh yeah, I don't um, know where it's disappeared. It totally That's did. magic. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Like most of the people don't actually want to be psychic. 
Like it's, or maybe they do, but it's like, it's, it seems like it sucks. Yeah, no, I think it does. I mean, I actually, I would like to, and maybe I'll get an opportunity to now, but I would like to talk to some people who are like, you know, have a legit psychic practice because I feel a lot of psychic energy and stuff. Like, I'm not trying to say that it's like, oh, I draw the line, but like, I really want to know about the experience um, because... It sounds, yeah, it sounds really difficult. It sounds like, um, it sounds exhausting. Yeah, totally exhausting. Like, um, just tuning everything out all the time must be. Most of the people I know that have, like, uh, like a psychic inclinations, maybe, and don't have, like, a practice around it are, like, drink between 18 and 30 beers a day yeah like and i'm not exaggerating like, mm-hmm. a lot of these people a lot of people that i know that are like deep long like decades long alcoholics are also people that are like yeah shit won't stop bugging me um and this is like the only thing that works to shut it up mm-hmm. uh but yeah we don't need to talk about bummer shit like that uh, yeah no i know but it's also no but it's also if you had if you had an idea if you had if you had a way to deal and also i think a a big part is like if you're gaslighting yourself into thinking that um if you're magic and you're trying to convince yourself that you're not yeah you're working really hard real hard um oh i remember what i was gonna say it's um so you were talking i think in terms of your like my experience with your understanding of magic from a like dating way back has always been less about like um it's scary and more like you have like a understanding and a reverence for the kind of power that it has and are just like deeply cautious like i remember you telling me one time about like all these people have altars in their houses that they don't know how to use they don't know what they're bringing into their house and then they're not even feeding it like then they got something mad in their house you know and i remember like dating back pretty far just like it wasn't about like there was no like i'm gonna dip my toe in this thing it was like this is a serious it's like um this is a terrible analogy i just mm-hmm. want to say Go for it. but it's like uh the way people talk about responsible gun ownership <laughs> you know where it's yeah. like you need to take classes about how gun safety you need to learn good good practices if you want to ha- be a person that owns a firearm <laughs> then you need to have like X, Y, and Z precautions and like keep up on your certifications that you're not going to get and you never get to be cavalier. Yeah. There's no point where you've been a gun owner long enough that you get to be cavalier about your right. gun because it can kill somebody. Well, yeah. Well, that's like, that's a good analogy in some ways, but in other ways, not so much because it's like, um, because it, it like that analogy assumes that like, it assumes that I care a lot about how other people use their magic. And I, I do to a certain extent that I'm like a public servant, mm. but like, it's like, uh, go, go ahead, fuck up your life. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, with guns, I'm like, no, 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 please. Just, like, don't <laughs> go ahead and don't fuck up all of our lives. Yeah. But, like, with with magic and stuff, it's like, mm. It's like, uh, you really probably might want to be more considerate. You might want to consider this. And then, the, and then after, like, three times, I'm like, uh, fuck it. Go, go do it. And then hopefully you'll get the lesson that you need. Because that's the thing. It's like, you are doing your magic. Right. And like in the store, I interact with people in the process of them doing their magic. I try to help and, you know, like that's our position there. So I do get involved and I'm like, well, you're involving me. So I'm going to let you know A, B and C. But that's just because it's it's not it's not even like a moral thing. 
It's not like you can't and you shouldn't. Right. And like you shan't use your magic this way. It's just like, well, if you're asking me, I do less. I, well, not do less. I just do more thoughtfulness and a little bit less direct action. Like, um, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. One of my coworkers just like between us was like trying to get me to do like, like a love spell. Mm-hmm. It was just like, just do it. Just don't be an armchair witch. Just do it. And I was like, I was like, yeah, okay. And like, I like listened to them and I was like, no, like I'm not gonna, I, I, I actually like, I went so far. Now this might be really stupid, <laughs> but when I did do make it, I made an offering to this goddess and like in the process in my, my petition was, um, I want what's best, which is so whack like I'm like kind of <laughs> I'm like kind of really disappointed in myself that's a real half step right there <laughs> I just want what's best love goddess do you yeah. do your thing you know um it is it was bad like it wasn't good it was like kind of a to be continued it was like an ellipsis but like that was all I could think to say because and for a good reason and the reason is this like I don't know like what's out there for me is hopefully better than what I imagine like my imagination is puny and the universe is awesome and I don't want to dictate the outcome that's not what I want to do I just want to like do my very very best to angle toward where I want to go and so that's what I ended up with the oh god I feel like I was like oh man <laughs> no, that's wimp really witch funny. wimp witch but um, but yeah, no, it's it's not because like my will's not strong. It's just because I know that my will's not the most important thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then like you do, you did a spell for a clawfoot tub. You know what I mean? Because that was because I could because that was right. I was yeah. like, nope. There's no wiggle room. I'm not fucking with anything with anybody's will. I'm not. You know, it's not a butterfly wing flap that I think is going to make a fucking hurricane. I just want my bathtub. This person's getting rid of their bathtub. There's no space for this bathtub. <laughs> I'm going to get my goddamn bathtub. And then yeah. I did. Man, clawfoot tub, you need that. That's my altar. That's like... I need that. Yeah, I love a clawfoot tub. I mean, it's... When you make something right, like, you don't need to keep inventing it. Like, they invented the perfect bathtub and then they kept going. It, why? That's just how they're supposed to be. But yeah, that's my that's my altar in there. So that was worth getting. Like, that was worth magicking up. Yeah. Um, and the apartment where the bathtub is, that was worth magicking up. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, those things I don't have a lot of qualms about, but, you know. Yeah, I think it's just like you don't use a powerful thing unnecessarily. Like, no. you and don't, and you don't need to. No, and also with love magic, I mean, like, that's what I know now is like, Oh, I'm the love spell. Like, I'm the love spell. Like, I'm, like, uh, I'm the shit. Like, that doesn't mean everything is always exactly as I want it to be. But like, I'm, I like in that part. Like, I'm, I'm great. And if it works in some ways, it doesn't. If it doesn't in other ways, it doesn't. But like, I know that that doesn't need to be adjusted in that right. way. So it's like, well, shrugs, you know, shrugs. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the. Thing and I attract the things I need and I gotta have faith in that because yeah if you don't have faith in that it just makes everything more complicated you have a lot more spells to do mm-hmm. if you don't just decide yeah. <laughs> that you're enough and that you're gonna be great yeah you gotta keep doing spells to, to become enough that it's never gonna happen it's never gonna happen yeah <laughs> I mean it's not, never, maybe it will maybe you can do 
Maybe the one zillionth spell will be the one that does it. It's going to be the one that makes you finally like yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, um, yeah, the spell to make you like yourself is the best spell ever. (laughs) Yeah, I think that spell is just you listen to... um, uh, Fuck, I did this for six straight months. Now I can't... I'm, like, having a... My mind is a void moment about... uh, uh, what is that song by 50 Cent and the Game? <laughs> 50 Cent and the Game? Yeah. I don't, that I don't what, know. Uh, I can't even remember the hook now. It's really, I'm ashamed. But it uh, makes you, it I, makes you feel yourself? I listen to that song every morning, first thing upon waking up. God, it's killing me that I can't remember the song. You're gonna get it. We can, we can yeah. break for this. You wanna, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we can break for this. <laughs> Let's pause and then we'll bring it back. Paused the interview to smoke a cigarette, no. and so I could remember that song, mm-hmm. which is "Hate It or Love It." Hate It or Love It by Fifty Cent in the Game, which I do think is my spell for liking myself. <laughs> and the first time I had like a deep, unending depression that I couldn't seem to shake off after quitting booze and after starting psych meds, and I was like, "I'm supposed to be better, and I'm not, and I don't want to get out of bed, and I haven't wanted to get out of bed for days." I woke up one day and was like, I'm going to listen to Hate It or Love It first thing in the morning. And then like, I just got out of bed and made my coffee, whatever. And then for like four or six months, every morning, the first thing I did when I wake up was just listen to Hate It or Love It really loud. Just listen to the whole song. And it really like somewhere in there, I got better. No, that happened to me this summer. Yeah. Like the first thing in the day, I would listen to the first song that came to the top of my mind. And I would just continue that practice for the next, you know, hour or so and then I would either sing or dance as vigorously as possible to mm-hmm. whatever song suited me and it, it was exactly the same thing it, it brought me from a depressed place to a I'm not depressed and like I'm really actively loving myself but it really like it really shows me how thin that line is yeah it's really thin like you really can like and not everybody has like I don't know Sometimes you can really flip that switch. I like to not be so, mm, like, centric to my own, like, uh, chauvinistic about my own brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. Because, sure. like, I sometimes can. And it's not just a song that does it. But, right. Um, but a practice can, I think that, I think that might be, you know, semi-universal. Mm-hmm. That like a, a a joy practice, a meditative joyful practice that takes priority over all the other crap in your day. Yeah, that can that can be a lot. That can be transformative. Yeah, for sure. Can we talk about the book for a little bit? Yep. Um, so you wrote a book. I did. It's about enchantments. Yes. It's also about just like kind of a beginner, like intro to witchcraft. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's like um, kind of like a primer. So it's, um, the idea I had was sort of to virtually take people on a tour of enchantments and let them know what sort of things we offer, um, but why and what people use them for. You walk in and see a bunch of herbs, see a bunch of, you know, jars full of stuff that's unidentifiable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the idea was to say, you know, this is how you might employ any of these things in a practice that... um, that suits you. So I'm trying to be as broad as possible um, and say how some people use things this way 
and you will have to decide how you're going to use it and if you're going to use it at all um, and that goes for you know Florida water and those witchy little swords and pentacles and incense and cauldrons and brooms and and all that stuff um, so hopefully well, my plan was to tell everybody um, how some people use these things and then um, my experience of working at the store was finding out how people use these things mm -hmm. and then uh, extrapolating that into how and if I wanted to use them and what my purposes might be and um, well, I think what we offer people at the store is like a system of logic not the only one of course but a system of logic for figuring out how and when, why you might want to use any of these things from all of these different cultures and... Yeah. Yeah. One of my first experiences with you doing magic for me was when I got my first New York City bicycle. You made an oil that you rubbed on the whole bike frame. I did. Yeah. That was, uh, you called it uh, don't get ran over oil. Oh. <laughs> and so then good. that was like a pretty busted stupid bike that I shouldn't it was like too small and I thought it was cute but it was like not the right thing to be a real like really actually be using a bike for any kind of purpose and so I had a succession of bikes after that and my first bike that I had after that I you I had not asked you to make that don't get ran over oil for <laughs> me you just did you brought it over to my house one day rubbed it all over my bike and my second bike I didn't ask for that and I got hit by three cars oh, on that bike and I don't think that that was the same as the binding spell where like yeah. the, I think it was that I am prone to accidents no you were doing a really dangerous job yeah and like also I'm just like prone to being spacey and like falling and crashing cars and you know what I mean like mm -hmm. I especially when I was younger and like was either like super hungover or like bombed out on pills or really fucking drunk all the time like mm -hmm. I definitely was much more inclined to physical injury and and I think that you're the oil on the first bike was just powerful enough to, to like impede my <laughs> own natural inclination towards self, self-destruction, <laughs> you know? Um, so what was the, what, how did the, like, what's the genesis of the book? Like, how did it, you worked there a long time ago. You got all these other jobs. Yeah. You got other jobs besides those. I had and other jobs besides you those. ended up back at the Right. Well, yeah. Store. So I worked, uh, right. So I told you guys up to, uh, up to cocktail waitressing, bartending. And then from there, I was babysitting. So I was caring for children. And then after caring for oh, children... Oh, you know we used to have nanny play dates? Oh my God, that was so much fun! We used to meet up in Tompkins and with, at, uh, uh, and then with a couple get, little babies. Yeah, with babies, and we'd go get lunch at Kate's Joint. We'd get lunch at Kate's Joint. Chili dogs. And then the little girl I was babysitting for, who's like a full-out teen right now, she... Um, Dude, the kid that I took care of is a fucking straight-up teen. It's oh weird. God, it's very strange. But um, she would get mad at me because I wasn't paying all of my attention to her and she was really small she was like two years old and we were having lunch and having so much fun and then she turns to me and she goes Maya later and I was like what did you school me little girl no yeah. she was so mad she was like we are not here to play with your grown-up friends yeah Cassius luckily was 10 months old so he couldn't talk no but you know it was cute he was, would lean forward in his in his high chair like a lot and he'd be like Cassius lean back lean back do the rock away. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, just do the rock away. Do the rock Lean away. back. 
<laughs> now lean back. Oh, that's that's really funny and it cute. It was of really me. cute. We yeah. had we had fun. We were we were scum nannies. That was great. Yeah, it's a good time. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So I cared for children. Then I worked in publishing, and I was an editor for a while. So I worked with all those. Um, so I went from you know, which is chatting to random weirdos. Uh, taking care of little kids and then working in publishing and then I left publishing and had a baby so I was taking care of little kids as reversing from publishing to little kids mm-hmm. from little kids to um, oh bars yeah I don't know I didn't start working back in a bar but I did go right back to enchantments yeah uh, when my kid went back to school and um, only one day a week I still only work there one day a week right but um, when I went back like we went it was like you know normal kind of what I expected maybe a little bit busier than what we used to be and then like really soon after some viral video went around and we were packed we were swamped we had mail orders all night we would stay there and after midnight just like trying to keep up it got really intense in there and I realized that we were like we were um, one of the few like resources that I feel like people had for um, seeking out some sort of personal power that they didn't feel like they could get elsewhere mm-hmm. and it became really clear that this was an urgent uh, thing that people were trying to find and people who weren't already in the fold not the choir right you know um just you know people who had no idea but they knew that they were looking for something they needed something yeah and um after answering the same questions every single day over and over again i was like okay you need to document we need a document to explain to people what it is that we're doing here and what, so that they can find out what they want to get out of it. Because right. if you walk in there without an intention, you can't walk out with anything. Yeah. And people really came in and they wanted to buy something. They knew they wanted something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, but you if know. your intention at the witch store is just for commerce, that's not really, you're not getting the most out of the witch store. No, you can buy stuff if you want, but it's not, you know, it's, it, it's not, you can buy stuff anywhere. Yeah. You don't need to buy the the weird stuff we have in there for that. So, um, I don't know yet how it's going to work out, but I'm really hopeful that it works sort of as a manual. It's like this, you know, now you can figure out what you want to get out of this place or any similar place. But also, since, of course, people don't have access, um, you know, it's like, so you don't have a witchcraft store and you still want to do this stuff. How are you going to, how are you going to find it? How are you going to figure it out? And so I was glad like that became sort of a secondary part of the book because there were lots of years I didn't go to the store, I didn't work at the store. Right. And I didn't stop doing magic. Um, you know, sometimes it sort of felt that way, but um, I figured out ways to do magic with a pen and paper, with what you get at the grocery store. Um, but it, it, yeah. I, I, it would have been harder to figure that out if not for the context of enchantments. Right. You, have, you need to take the... Um, like the skill set or whatever and to break it down into something different but that's something I really love about your book is that like there's that story that I think you told me about I forget what friend of yours whose mother is like a pretty high up Buddhist um, and they had this like monk staying at their house and they had the they had a food altar that was your story I told you that story yeah. no I think you told it to me <laughs> yeah, I think it was, um, uh, I forget whose mom. Someone that was your friend that I didn't know in high school. Yeah. Um, but, and then I've been telling it since then. But maybe it was someone else told it to me and I told it to you. Either way, it's not my, like, I don't know the person directly. Yeah. But the story is that this monk is in this person's house 
and keeps leaving like peanut M&Ms and pizzeria pretzel combos on the food altar. And finally, this like white American mom who's like a practicing Buddhist who is like hosting this monk is like, grand wise monk, what lesson are you trying to teach me? And like, what have I done to upset you? And he was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, are, is my house too like, am I too concerned with material things? Like, what are you trying to teach me with this thing you're doing? And he was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, you keep leaving all this weird food in the food altar. And the monk was like, is this like about capitalism or whatever? And the monk was just like, no dude, like all the texts are from 3000 years ago. Like they say to put rice there cause that was all they had. <laughs> like I'm putting combos in there cause I fucking love combos like have you eaten pizzeria pretzel combos they're so, good. they're so good you know and the mom was just like oh shit like that wasn't actually like this is a lesson but it wasn't a lesson for me and i feel like there's this thing in your book where it's like yes there are these like documented very specific items that you need but like everything about um whether it's like altar building or spell casting or just like creating like uh, like an intentional feeling life is about uh, it's like si they're symbols like it all stands in for stuff and so whatever pro uh, proscribed symbols are in like whatever texts people have been reading since the 70s or whatever yeah. those aren't the only things and there's like there's like a element in every part of your book about well okay this is how it's done in the store and this is how you can do it with just stuff from Michael's or the mm -hmm. dollar store or whatever and I think it's really cool that you make that concerted effort to like make the practice accessible and like kind of demystify that like this is about the person doing the act. It's not about what having the right objects or whatever. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the the value of it for me because um, something came up when I was talking the other day. It was like it's about finding the power that's not conditional. It's not dependent on whether the store was open that day. Mm -hmm. Like, the spell you have to do is not, um, you know, the spell you have to do is not dependent on any of your, um, I think it's my cat. They're in my jacket pocket. Uh-oh. Pink Carhartt. But the spell you have to do isn't, isn't conditional. It's not dependent on whether the store was open that day. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, if it matters a lot to you what phase the moon's in, that's great. And if it doesn't, that's also great. Like, if you need to do something, you need to do it. It's not... Um, there's no external the, it's entirely internally generated and that's the part that I like to focus on because mm -hmm. everything that's outside of yourself um, should be a help it shouldn't be a hindrance it shouldn't be a thing you have to stress out about a thing you can't afford a thing you can't find um, nothing should be able to come between you and the magic that you want to do Yeah, um, and that includes you know your own preconceived notions of what's magic and what's not. Right. Um, and pizzeria pretzels, like pizzeria combo pretzels are magic if they inspire magic in you. They really are. Um, sure. So, you know, I think a lot of people need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that a lot. And um, that I find that really freeing. So that can only be a good thing in your spiritual practice yeah, sure. it's like something that makes you feel less encumbered um you know and less uh less in need i guess it's about you know 
finding the fullness that you already have, not figuring out what things you can't locate and don't already understand. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's... Yeah, and what about, like, not Maya the Witch that wrote a book, but, like, Maya the Writer that wrote a book? Like, because we've been writers together for as long as we've known each other. Like, I met you because you were editing the high school literary magazine. Like, I've been... I've seen you read poetry and, like, read poems that you've written so many times over the years. I You copy-edited, like, many issues of old fanzines <laughs> I put out, you know? And, like... I feel like you're like uh, you've been for two decades the first person I show stuff to that I write a lot of the mm -hmm. time because it's like your opinion is the one that matters the most in a lot of ways just because I know where it's situated and you know what I mean like it's you've been such a consistent voice of like enthusiasm and critique and like someone that like when I was stressing out about oh I'm not writing fast enough you were like maybe that's just how you write don't worry like you know what I mean you just like are very chill you taught me how to be way chiller about like I was like, I fucking pace for two hours and then I write for like 45 minutes mm -hmm. and then I pace for an hour more. And it's like, that's like, I just, why can't I just sit down and write for five hours? That'd be so much more efficient. <laughs> and you were like, Colin, that's just how you write. Just accept that that's how you write and set aside that much time mm -hmm. and realize that's all you're going to get done and then don't, and then use the rest of your time well. And that was really great advice. And I wonder if you were able to be that chill with yourself. Not really but it helped so much like if i hadn't gone through that process with you and if i hadn't gone through that process with like you know one one other friend during that period of time mm -hmm. i like went through your books as they were in process and like became a part of that process and um being able to the things that i thought of to say to you i could remember um, whether or not I could like actively be applying them to mm -hmm. myself in those moments I could remember but like um, the process of bullshitting inspirational thoughts to writers has been really really instructive to me because yeah. I did okay I don't know I can't say I didn't torture myself but I did it like I actually did it like I, I actually started with I'm gonna write this book and then wrote this book so like all's fair yeah. you know and I didn't uh, I didn't torture myself um, as much as I could have I really that's why I'm glad that I wrote a book now and not in the years that I was beating myself up for not writing a book because I wasn't ready to be kind to myself I used to think that like I used to think what I really needed was like um, the coach in Rocky, like someone to like run next to me and be like, you ain't shit, you can't do it. How are you gonna get, you're never gonna get there. Oh, all that shit. And like, that if I could externalize that hateful voice um, that antagonizes me into doing things that I could be productive. But um, I remember saying that out loud to people and they were like, why why in the world would you want that like why yeah. would you need that why do you think you need that and I'd be like I don't know I just need somebody to do it I need somebody outside of my head to do it and then it was like eventually it's like no I don't need that at all I just need to get that outside of my head uh -huh. and then I got that outside of my head and there was so much more space like that's what I mean about like the thin line it's such a thin line it went yeah. from like the most tortured I'm never gonna write something writer to someone who was just like oh yep guess I am guess I am gonna write it guess I managed to sell it because I'm totally screwed if I don't write it like I have to write it now so um yeah that was that was magic that was mm -hmm. a lot of magic because it and it took a long time um but yeah 
can't be mad about how long it takes. No. Not afterwards, <laughs> at least. Although, how long did it take to write the actual book? Because that seemed like you did it pretty efficiently. That was really fast. That yeah. was a year. That was a year that's from start to finish, which I, if you write a book faster than that, like, I'm scared. Like, that's I, It fighting. took me three years, two and a half or three years to finish my book. Mm -hmm. And and everyone was like, yeah, no, they just say, because my contract, I remember at like 11 months, I called, we have the same agent, mm -hmm. I called Julia, I called Julia and was like, Julia, the contract that I signed says that the book is due in one month and we don't have any, it's barely done. Do we need to renegotiate the contract? And Julia was like, every contract says one year and every book takes three years. It's yeah. like, you don't need to worry about it. But then you actually got yours done in a year. Because I knew that in advance. Um, I did know that the what you contract to do is not, I mean, well, don't, I shouldn't tell them. Anyway, it's not. It's it's fine. You don't have to beat that deadline. But I knew I did. Um, when I started writing it, I was like, okay, this book has to come out next October or else it's not going to be able to do what it can do. Right. Because it was clear, like, oh, no, this book is about now. Like, this is topical for this exact moment, not a year from this exact moment. And um, and also, you know, I set what I, the pl what I set out for myself to do seemed like I just I just had a good handle on what I needed to do, how long it might take a body to do that. Right. Um, I have a great editor. She was so good. Like we were just able to like you know, we were able to make it actually work in that time frame. I mean, it's kind of it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. I yeah. think I think it did I think it did well uh, for speed and accuracy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good book, and like everyone I tell about it, from like friends that are witches to like I was just having dinner with Aaron Comipus, who is distinctly not a witch. <laughs> like, dear sweet man, really someone I care about a lot, and whose opinions and whatever I value, blah blah blah. Obviously. I wouldn't be having dinner with him otherwise, <laughs> but um, I was like, yeah, I'm interviewing my friend Maya for the podcast, and he was like, oh, I thought you were just hanging out with Maya. Why are you, what are you, what's the interview going to be about? And I was like, oh, it's about this book she just wrote that's about enchantments and blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, that sounds cool. Really? That well, sounds so really What makes exciting. him the least witch? Like, what's not a oh, witch? Oh, he's just I like... I think it's a good question for this. <laughs> I mean, I think he's like a magical person in some ways. Yeah, because I get that sense. He's a very magical he's person. He's about serendipity. He is, and he actually he he was talking all kinds of magical shit um, on our long walk we took this evening. But I think um, I don't think he's like I'm not saying he's not uh, in touch with the um, esoteric, but I think he would not think of himself as a person that is like interested in a book about witchcraft necessarily. Yeah, and he's yeah. not someone that I expected would be excited about a book about witchcraft yeah I guess I, is what I'm trying I've to been say. surprised about that too and also like I worked really hard to um, be able to I work really hard in my life to be able to talk to people who are not interested in witchcraft like there are people I've known for a long time who are like wait you do what like you wrote a book about what like and it, I um, I don't know I don't think I'm in any sort of like broom closet I think they call it um, when you're a secret I mean, witch, we're literally or, like we're literally in a closet. Right I know. I, I like. I spend a lot of time in the closet, you guys. It's, like, it's rough, <laughs> but um, yeah. The the broom closet is a silly term for people who hide the fact that they're witches. That's um, really funny. I think it's funny. I think it's cute. But we don't. Um, you know, I've never. I'm not in it. But um, no, I don't talk about. I don't know. 
I talk about mystical shit all the time, but I really like to do it in such a way that I can talk to anyone about it and I don't have to, um, you know, be a cloister, have this, these conversations cloistered only in, in weirdo spaces. Um, right. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's this weird, I think. Ah, uh, no. That's just my, my bias. But, um... I don't know. I was really surprised traveling um, while I was writing the book on Amtrak, and um, I had a little berth, and every time I had a meal, I had to go into the main dining car and sit across from random Americans on the train. And they were like, so, why are you traveling on the train? And I'm like, well, I'm writing a book about magic and witchcraft. I'm on my way to a commune in New Mexico. And um, <laughs> it was just like a really fun way to start yeah. the conversation with every stranger and um it it was amazing like everybody was so cool everybody's so down and so interested like i was i was literally I was legit a little bit nervous and um not nervous enough to be like i'm going to an accountants conference but like you know each time i was like here we go and yeah. each time it was i don't know i got a lot of enthusiasm this could go one way or the other yeah but also like that's kind of the dream of like a boring person on an Amtrak trip yeah. to be like, you'll never guess. We were on the Amtrak trip and we had dinner with a witch yeah. from New York City. She was writing a book about witches. Man, like, and you'll, she was so nice. She was nice. Great so, manners. Man, telling somebody that you're a witch is a really great way to start a conversation because it's like people don't know what to expect, but then like they don't know what. But if I say witch, then they don't know what to expect. And then they're pleasantly surprised, mm -hmm. and um, and it has really been so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy it. It's so nice. I always tried to disarm people, and I didn't realize that like having basically a business card that's like, "Hey, I'm a witch." Like it, it, it does it. It does it real fast, and then you can kind of get down to a, a real conversation sometimes. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, we're at about an hour, which is like mm -hmm. seems like a nice amount. I'm not going to edit this very much. It's a good chunk. Um, I usually pick a song from the conversation to end with, and then I sing along to it as I segue into my outro. Mm -hmm. I am not going to do that with Hate It or Love It. Okay. Because I am not going to subject anyone to hearing me rap along with anything <laughs> that is just for me and Drake's ears. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, do you, what song do you want to hear me sing? Oh. Is this putting you two on the spot? No, I love something? this. I yeah, love I think this. You, I thought you'd like this. No, I do. Oh, man. I've never asked a guest and I will never ask another Shit. guest, probably. <laughs> okay. Well, what's a song that we both love so much? Um, oh, do you know the words to the, um, to the, uh, Shania Twain cover? The Spanish one? Yeah. Oh, Yeah. del cielo por amarnos el mundo desafiamos seguimos unidos y enamorados yo sé que nadie pensó que nuestro amor duraría pero hoy aquí estamos amándonos tú y yo Sigue siendo tú, mi amor eterno y 
Yo, te amo cada día más Tú y yo, y sigues siendo tú Mi sueño eterno Y yo, el dueño de tu corazón Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you Thank you so fucking much for listening to my podcast Thank you to my guest, Maya Spalter, for being my friend since high school, for being really cool, for writing a great book. It has been such a pleasure to be in community with you as a writer and as a witch and as a friend for 20-something years. It's really... I am so grateful. Uh, I can't say it enough. Uh, also, shouts out to uh, Gary and Donna Spalter, your lovely parents, uh, Noah Apple, your wonderful husband, and little Sal. Uh, a child that's named after my cat that's named after another one of my friends. It's good. It's all fam here. You know what I mean? Um, thank you as well to Lakara Occulta for inadvertently writing my theme song however many years ago when they put that 7-inch out. Pizzeria Fatal. Great song. Try to find that 7-inch. I dare ya. Um, thanks also to um, Banda Tornado. The, uh, this group playing behind us. Covering the Shania Twain song. It's a perfect cover it's everything about it is good um no thanks to the fucking government to ice to white supremacists to proud boys to fucking fascists no thanks to the cops uh no thanks to men generally speaking uh there's some good ones i guess um yeah i don't know as usual The world's a fucking bummer. Uh, Hug your friends. Tell them that you love them. No cops, no creeps. Peace in the pizzeria. I'm out.